Some of you know that uh, annually Forbes publishes a list of the wealthiest people in America. Do you know who the wealthiest person is today? I'll ask the youth. Wealthiest person in the U.S.? Yeah, Jeff Bezos. And who's Jeff Bezos? Amazon. Forbes. Forbes values his net worth somewhere around 131, just a mere 131 billion dollars. That's a lot of money, yes? Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen that much money. Um, if you have, I'd like to talk to you later. Because I'd just like to know what it, what it looks like. Um, that's really nothing compared to a different list, a top ten list uh, that I found. Um, this is just for fun. I'm not saying this is factual, but just for fun. Somebody took the time to list the top ten wealthiest individuals of history. If, if those dollars from their uh, historical era were uh, brought up to date today. So for fun, you want to hear the list? Of course you do. Um, Number 10 is Alan Rufus. You may not have heard that name, but most of you have heard of William the Conqueror. 1066, uh, invaded England. Uh, Alan Rufus was a companion of his. His net worth is estimated at $178 billion. Cornelius Vanderbilt, familiar name to most of us, uh, lived at the uh, uh, 17, 1800s, $185 billion. Henry Ford, valued at $199 billion. Jakob Fugger of Germany, his net worth was estimated in current dollars at $221 billion. See where we're going. We're continuing to go up, and it's fun. <laughs> Mir Osman Ali Khan of India. In the late 1800s up through 1967, valued at $230 billion. Tsar Nicholas II of Russia, $300 billion. Number four, Andrew Carnegie, $310 billion. Mansa Musa I of Mali in West Africa, uh, around the 1200s, 1300s, estimated at $400 billion. John D. Rockefeller, $663 billion. You know who number one is? King Solomon. That's right. Yeah. King Solomon, according to this list, his net worth is valued in modern day dollars at $2.1 trillion. Now, that is a lot of money. I doubt anybody in this room, even though we live in Marin County, has that kind of money. Um... But we know, living in Marin County, that money is necessary. Am I right? We know the value of dollars, even though we don't have those kind of dollars. I doubt very few of us would ever say, I could not use anymore. Right? Kids, if your parents came to you this afternoon and said, I'm going to increase your allowance, how many of you would say, no, I'm good? How many of you adults at your work, if you're offered a raise, you say, no thanks, I don't need it. I don't really want it. We, we know uh, the importance of money in our world. Our passage today, and I'm aware of the time, uh, our passage today guides us into, uh, teaches us about the folly of centering life around the accumulation of wealth. If the accumulation of wealth is the centerpiece of your life, the Bible says really over and over again that it leads to ruin and it leads to an ultimately dissatisfying life. We're going to focus in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, open them there. 
Ecclesiastes is the record of examining some of life's great issues to see, to try to evaluate what is it that really brings lasting uh, satisfaction, genuine satisfaction. Now, I want you to know that, that this is not a message just for people who have wealth, because people who struggle to have money can also be centered and center their life around the accumulation of wealth. It's a problem for the human condition. That's why ancient people talked about it. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes talked about it. Now, we don't know for sure if Solomon actually wrote Ecclesiastes uh, for centuries. Well, the first verse of the, the book says, These are the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now, we know Solomon was a son of David. He also was a king of Jerusalem. And for centuries, Hebrew scholars would, would tie the book of Ecclesiastes to the authorship of Solomon. Since the Reformation, over the last 500 years, scholars are really kind of mixed on it. They, they aren't sure that Solomon wrote it. The language seems to be a little uh, past, uh, date-wise, what the, the types of language Solomon would have used in his day. But if it was written by Solomon, even if it wasn't, it's still somebody who examined what wealth is and examined what wealth can deliver to a life and examined the limitations of wealth. But if it was Solomon, he knew something about wealth. In 1 Kings chapter 10, when Solomon's wealth is being described, it's described this way. One of the, the many ways it's described is that in Jerusalem during Solomon's day, he made silver as plentiful as pebbles on the ground. He knew what wealth was. The writer, the teacher of this book, knows what wealth is. And here's the point that I hope will will burn into your mind as our passage in in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes comes to life, is that if money drives your life, it will drive you eventually to Never Satisfiedville. Have you ever been to Never Satisfiedville? It's not a real place on a map, but it's a real place for a lot of people. It's a place where I'm never satisfied. I keep seeking, but I'm never fulfilled. I I keep longing and looking and reaching and grabbing, but I'm never satisfied. If we center your life, if I center my life around the sole purpose of accumulating wealth, it will eventually lead me to this dead end of life. Money cannot Deliver ultimate satisfaction. And in our world today, this is a a word and a message that we need to take to heart. Because so often we are confused and there's a common belief that if I just had a little bit more than... If I only had just a little bit more than... What would you finish that sentence with? I would be happy if I just had a bigger house, if I had a better car, if I had a different job, this promotion. I wouldn't have these problems. If I just had money, all my problems would go away. And this is what people of all time have thought. And this is why the scripture continues to talk to us about the folly of pursuing and centering our life around wealth. Now, I want you to hear me. The Bible is not saying that money is bad. In fact, in 1 Timothy... Paul writing to his protege Timothy, he doesn't say that money is bad. 
He says that the love of money is bad. The person, the man, the woman, the boy, the girl, who centers his or her life around the accumulation of wealth will find it eventually as the root of all sorts of evil. If that is your main goal in life, you will find yourself ultimately unsatisfied. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, Better one handful with tranquility than two hands full with toil. This is chasing after the wind. Do you get that? Better to have less with tranquility and contentment than to reach for more than than I need or more than, than, than what is God's intent for me and to find toiling. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, here's our, our focus verse today. Five, verse five, chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? Brothers and sisters, God may give you wealth and God may give you the power to enjoy it. Amen. Amen. But he may not give you wealth. What God promises for a life that's pursuing him is a life of contentment. That's the adjustment all of us have to make, whether we have a lot or a little, is learning to be content. And if God would bless you with money, amen. Bless you with the ability to enjoy it, amen. But this is the word of caution. You'll never be satisfied if your life is driven by the accumulation of wealth. Whether you have a lot today and you're reaching for more, whether you have very little today and you're reaching for more, if your life is centered around the accumulation of wealth, it will drive you eventually to never satisfied Bill. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right. Am I making sense? Dollars and cents? Why cannot money, why does money ultimately bring, does not ultimately bring us satisfaction? Why can't money bring us ultimate satisfaction? Because there's never enough. Verse 10 tells us that. There is never enough. No matter how wealthy you may get, there is never enough. There's a story that's told, I don't know if it's real or not, but that John D. Rockefeller, number two on on the top ten list we just led of wealthiest people in history, was once asked, how much money was enough? Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? One dollar more. One dollar more. There's never enough. If that's your center of your life, if that's your life pursuit, there's never going to be enough. There's not enough in the wells of the world. Why can't money ultimately bring satisfaction? Because there's not enough. Verse 10 tells us that money can't bring ultimate satisfaction because it's temporary. It's focused on temporary things. If accumulating wealth is your sole ambition, then you'll never know true happiness or genuine satisfaction because God has built into the human heart and spirit a longing for eternal things. There's a longing for eternal things. Even if those aren't the words you would use, there is a longing for bigger things beyond yourself There's a longing for life beyond this temporary existence of your 
80 years, your 90 years, your 100 years, whatever the number of days you draw breath on this earth, I believe the human spirit is wired, it's hardwired to long for the eternal. And so when we focus on the temporal, the temporary things, and if that's our sole focus or our primary focus, we're always going to limp along in life, never fully being satisfied. That's why the Apostle Paul says, whether I've had a lot or a little, I've learned the secret of being content because through Christ I can do all things. I can do them all because Christ gives me the strength. Why can't money bring ultimate satisfaction? There's never enough. One dollar more. Money can't bring ultimate satisfaction because it's temporal. And then thirdly, there's a tipping point. There's a tipping point when a pursuit for accumulation becomes personal suffocation. There inevitably becomes a tipping point if your life's pursued, even if it's been decades long, there comes a tipping point in a person's life where that ambition for accumulation becomes life and soul-sucking suffocation. It blocks Life. There comes a point when it blocks and plugs up your life rather than freeing you and bringing life. Accumulation becomes its own end. There comes a tipping point where instead of accumulating for certain things or certain uh, aspirations, suddenly the accumulation becomes its own end. I'm accumulating for accumulation's sake. The scripture goes on in verse 11. It tells us that accumulation will begin, if that's our focus, it begins to consume our thoughts in the daytime. As goods increase, it says, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? This is the tipping point. It begins to consume our thoughts during the day where hardly a moment passes where I'm not thinking about my account or my investment or all of those things. I can't help but to think about uh, the dragon and the story of the Hobbit. Have you read the Hobbit or seen the movies? You remember that the dragon chose this particular mountain. Do you remember why? Because the dwarves have been so successful in their trademark activity of mining that they filled this treasure room full of immense treasure, the dragon came and took residence in that mountain. And all he wanted to do, what could a dragon do with treasure? Nothing. He looks at it. He feasts his eyes on it. Because it's pleasing to his eyes, but it's useless for his life. There was a boy, an eight-year-old boy, who went into the store with his dad. And he saw a toy on the shelf. And he says, Dad, I want that toy. His dad said, no. He said, please, Dad, I want that toy. His dad said, you know, Dad wanted to teach him some responsibility. He said, you need to save your money. And we can come back and buy the toy. Well, the boy sat back and thought for a minute. He had a loose tooth in his mouth. He reached in. Well, he was motivated. He plucked out that tooth. And he hands it to his dad. Because in his family, the tooth fairy comes and exchanges teeth for money. And guess what the boy walked out of the store with? His toy. <laughs> he fixed his eyes on that. and That story could go different ways, I realize. Different applications. But uh, 
Sometimes we can be so fixated and so driven on that next dollar that it really begins to skew our life and it consumes our thoughts in the daytime. It also can keep us up at night with worry. The scripture tells us so. The sleep, in verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. If we're not careful, as you accumulate wealth in your life, it can keep you up at night with worry, and it can become a burden instead of a blessing. The accumulation The tipping point, as it becomes its own end, it consumes our thoughts in the day, it keeps us up at night with worry, and it can crush us with the temptation to hoard it. It can crush us. You can be crushed with the temptation to hoard your wealth. In verse 13, it says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. The harm of its owner. You see, when, when we begin to be crushed with an, un, an, 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 over, an overindulgence and overemphasis on, the, overemphasis on the accumulation of wealth, what we can do is it, it begins to short-circuit our willingness toward generosity, our willingness to be partners in God's work, our willingness to meet the needs of others. Because after all, I've worked hard for this. I've been wise and I've I've scrimped and saved and I've seen this grow and I've invested it wisely. Now I've got to continue to build it and I can't be generous toward the needs of others or toward the calling of God. And it becomes harmful to your spiritual development. And it's a challenge for you. I want you to hear as we move toward closing. I want you to hear what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. A great parable that really captures the thought. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he went on to tell them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Let me pause there. There was a moment for generosity, but not in this parable for this man. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Sorry, I sounded like an Irishman there for a minute. <laughs> you heard that again. This is what I'll do. I will tear, tear can't talk. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, Self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. See, these teachings on money in the Bible really are so consistent 
It's not that wealth and money are to, to be embarrassing or that wealth itself is harmful. Not at all. That wealth cannot be enjoyed. Not at all. Of course it can. But a singular focus on the accumulation of wealth becomes a burden and becomes a distraction for your life that will inevitably lead you. Where does it take you? Where does it drive you? Remember the town? What's it called? Never Satisfiedville. That's where you will inevitably end up. So how can we keep money from driving our lives? I'm glad you asked. A couple of thoughts. Number one is remember... Just keep in mind that money and the accumulation of wealth is a temporary thing. It's temporal, and your life should not be driven by it. Remind yourself of that reality. Number two, understand that God is the source. God is the source and supplier of wealth. God is the source and supplier of your wealth. God is the one who has given you the ability to work, The wisdom to save, the wisdom to invest. God has given you those abilities. One person in the Bible really captured this idea so well. His name was David. Solomon's daddy, David. There was a time when they were collecting money to build the temple in Jerusalem. And David, after this great collection is made, David comes and uh, he says this great prayer. This is, if you're taking notes, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. He has this great prayer and, and he wraps up this prayer in these words. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything, God, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So there is a recognition and an understanding that what you have is from God. He is the source and supplier of wealth. So adults, I want to ask you today. Are there areas of your finances where you need to pray more and worry less? Are there areas of your finances where you need to pray more and worry less? Parents, are you teaching your children how to live a generous life? Life? Are you training them how to deal with their money so that when they get allowance or they, they earn money from a work job that, that they, are, they are coached in how to actually be generous with what they are given? It is such a great gift to your children. Are you parents teaching them by your example of generosity and partnership with a church like this? Now we... We have seen God do some amazing things just in recent weeks financially in our church. Just a month ago, we put out a call needing to repair a significant water leak on our roof. Um, We were seeking about, what was the number, $35,000 on top of what we already had. And God has provided $39,000. You have shown yourself so generous Yet again, and I know that we've celebrated that. I was so sad to admit uh, the, the joyful celebration of that. But if you prayed for that need, we asked you to pray for it. And if you prayed for that need, thank you. And if you were able to give toward that need, thank you. Thank you. We are in our stewardship season today. In your bulletin, there's an insert. We want to, you to take that home. Take it home for the next couple of weeks. And we want you to be in prayer about how you might be renewing your partnership with our church ministry in the coming year. 2020, 
2020 is the 60th anniversary of our church here in Tiburon. And so we really want you to not make any quick or snap decisions or judgments. Talk to the people in your home that you need to speak with. Pray about it together. And uh, there's going to be a date coming um, in a few weeks where we're going to have part of our time of worship. We're going to bring these commitment cards. And uh, we just want to invite you to pray and ask God's Spirit to be prompting your heart and to be asking, how is it financially? How will you demonstrate financially your partnership in what God is doing in our church uh, by providing a commitment? Because that really will help our stewardship team put together a budget for 2020. I think that's it. It's about time. Would you pray for our stewardship season? Would you pray that God would, if there's any creeping into your heart where over time, whether today you have a lot of money, Maybe you've become overly burdened with caring for that money, or maybe you've really struggled financially, and you have just the thought of money has become the centerpiece of your life. Let's pray together about those matters. Father, we we come to you now needing your presence, needing your touch, needing your wisdom. We, We thank you for the wisdom you've given us in your word today, and We pray now that you would help us not just be hearers of your word, but that we might go out and do what we have heard, do what we have been prompted by you to do. And uh, God, if we've been overwhelmed with worry, maybe because we don't have enough or because we have so much that we're worried about keeping it together, whatever the issue is, if we find ourselves today centered around the, the impulse to accumulate wealth as the centerpiece of our lives, God, come and break down that idol. Remove it out of our lives. Remove it out of our lives so that you can be the centerpiece and you alone. May our prayer around money constantly be like King David's in 1 Chronicles 29. Who am I and who are we, your people, that you would bless us in such a way that we could give so generously and to live in such a way? So God, help us. Not just to be people who talk about it, but people who structure our lives around generous living. To be generous towards you. To be rich toward God. Help us in that, we pray now. In Jesus' name together. Amen.